Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Here we are, the last Sunday of Advent, and we are reminded of the things that we have looked at throughout the Glory and Redemption season, or series, that we are reminded of the hope that comes to us in the promises of the Old Testament. And that hope, it is a man, it is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as Christ comes into our life, as we experience him, we understand that he is the prophet who declares the love of God. Not just a distant love letter, but God himself coming and speaking to us in the flesh to reveal just how much he loves us. And then last week we lit the the third candle of Advent and it reminds us of the peace that comes to us through this, this priest who is also the sacrifice. He comes and he, the perfect priest offers himself the perfect sacrifice. And so this Christmas season, this Advent, we celebrate the hope and the love and the peace that are revealed to us through the whole Old Testament and finalized in the coming of the Son, Jesus the Christ, born in Nazareth. And if you remember all of the promises that, that, that we see through the Old Testament, they're narrowed down to, to these few, that, that there would be a man who would come and defeat sin and evil. And we see that promised in Genesis 3 and fulfilled in Jesus and explained to us in Galatians chapter 1. We, we know that he would descend from Abraham. He would have a specific lineage. And that's promised in Genesis 12. And we see it fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1 and all throughout the Gospels. We're told he'll be a prophet like Moses, and we see that promised in Deuteronomy 18, fulfilled and, and explained to us in Hebrews chapter 1. And he is that, that prophet who announces to us the love of God, that he would be a priest greater than Eli, 1 Samuel 2.35, and we see it fulfilled in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 26, and, and how this priest who comes to bring peace for us is both the perfect priest And also the perfect sacrifice on our behalf, bringing us back into right relationship with the Father. And then we find this final promise that we're going to talk about this morning. That he would be a king greater than David. And we all can remember the story of David. We go back in our our time in glory and redemption and the time that that Don shared with us. And and we wrapped up understanding that David was a, a mighty man, that God did great things through him. And he was a man after God's own heart, even as he failed and, and fell short of God's perfect plans for him. And, and yet what we see is God promises that there would be someone who would come after David, who would be an even greater king. And Second uh, Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 through 16, here's what the promise entails. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise, ap- raise up after you your descendant, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Now, we look and we see that God actually partially fulfilled part of this promise through Solomon, who came from the body of David, who built the temple. 
But there's also more depth to this promise because when we look at who the church is and, and what the church will become, it is the literal house for God, the dwelling place through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God also promises this to David. He says this, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So we know he's not talking about Solomon because there is a king who will be king forever. And I will be his father and he will be my son. So there's this forever kingdom promise to someone who will be called the son of God. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. So we see God's promise to David that there will be a king who will be on a throne forever called the Son of God. And so as, as, as we go through, then we see that, that Jesus is, is promised, or this Messiah is promised, a physical descendant, the Son of David. And we see it promised not just in this one place, but it's reiterated throughout the Old Testament prophecies in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and throughout the Old Testament. This promise is reiterated and continues that David's physical descendant will be called the son of David, will sit on a throne forever. And not only do we see this promise, including son of David, but, but it says that he'll build a house for God's name. So there will be this dwelling place for God that is established forevermore. He'll also, according to this prophecy, be a forever king with a forever kingdom. We see it reiterated in Isaiah chapter 9 as well as other places. And then we also see that, that this man, this descendant of David who is to come, he will be called the son of God. Now, it isn't just in this one prophecy that we see this, but we also see it in Psalm chapter 2. Uh, or Psalm 2. If, if you were to read Psalm 2, the whole of it is a discussion about God talking to the rulers of the world and how his son will be placed on the throne who will rule over them forever and ever. And it, they might as well just bow to him because he's king. And, and then Isaiah 9, 6 tells us in prophecy about the, this coming man, this coming promised redeemer will be called the son of God. And so this isn't some sort of new concept. We just see birth in the New Testament. Instead, it permeates the promises of the Old Testament, all of these. Not only would, would he be a descendant of David, the son of David, the son of God, but also we see this other prophecy that comes out in Daniel. And, and Daniel is having a vision. Daniel is a prophet. He lives in, in the Babylonian Empire. And, and he is faithful. And, and he seeks after God's face. And God begins to reveal to him things. And he has this vision. And in this vision, it says, He continued watching in the night visions. And suddenly, one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days. And in this vision, the Ancient of Days is God the Father seated upon his throne. And so this Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. And here's what Daniel's vision says about this Son of Man. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. 
So we see in the prophecies that God has given regarding this king who is to come, who's going to be greater than David. He'll be from David's lineage. He'll be called the son of God, but he'll also bear this name, son of man. And son of man is another statement of this great king who will be given authority over all of creation forever and ever and be worshipped by all peoples. So these three phrases, as we see them in the New Testament, referring to Jesus, they're not just names that describe nice things about him. Like, you know, blue hair, blonde eyes. Wait, that's the wrong Jesus anyway. Blue hair and blonde eyes. That's a really weird Jesus. But you guys get the picture because the blonde hair, blue eyed one's just as wrong as blue hair and blonde eyes. But, but, but these phrases, these are rooted in the Old Testament and Old Testament promises of this great king who is coming. That he'll be called the son of David. He'll be called the son of God. And he'll be called the son of man. And so as we begin to, to look at what goes on in the New Testament and see how Jesus is described, we realize that he is the fulfillment of all of these prophecies and all of these promises for a great and perfect king who will call people to himself from every tongue and tribe and nation and will rule over us forever and ever in righteousness. So let's look at some of the verses that we see that fulfill these promises. Some of the things we learn in this first advent, this first coming of Jesus that reveal to us how he fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. You see, in, in fulfilling this, phrase, this, this, this um, requirement to be son of David, Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 says this, An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It says Jesus physically was a descendant of King David. He was a physical descendant of King David through both his mother Mary and his father, stepfather Joseph. And so we see Jesus having a claim to the lineage of being the son of David. Not only do we see that, that the gospels say this, but they record that there were others who recognized who Jesus was and the crowds who went ahead of him. And this is on the day of Jesus' triumphal entry. The crowds are going ahead of him and they're laying down their cloaks and laying down branches and they are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And this is a celebration because they look at Jesus and they see in him the fulfillment of prophecy. A descendant of David who has come to rule the king we've been waiting for. So Jesus is the son of David. Luke chapter 1 verse 32, the angel in talking to Mary and, and explaining to her this new experience that's beginning in her womb. She, he, the, the angel tells her that he, speaking of Jesus, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Jesus is the son of David. Now, you can also see mixed in here. What else does this statement reveal to us the, that Jesus fulfills? Well, he's the son of God, the son of the most high. And so Jesus is the son of David. He is the son of David as revealed to us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. The apostle Paul, who at one time was a raging skeptic who sought to see Christians persecuted and even killed for following after Jesus. He says this, remember Jesus Christ, 
risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel. That one of the greatest skeptics who saw all of the the, the history of Jesus transpire right before his eyes, over time became convinced that Jesus was the Christ. He was this promised king, this promised descendant of David, the son of David. So not only we see that, but in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus talks about himself and he says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jesus says, I have fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament regarding King David And this great king who is to come. That's me. That's who I am. I am the descendant of David who will fulfill these promises. Not only is he the son of David, but as the prophecies revealed, he is also the son of God. And it wasn't just Jesus walking around telling everybody, hey guys, I'm the son of God. In fact, some scholars will argue and say Jesus never claimed to be son of God or never claimed to be deity. But we see he receives worship right here from his disciples as, as deity, as the son of God. Uh, Matthew 14, 33, uh, Jesus has, has just calmed waves. He's made things better. They're all in the boat after having been in complete freak out mode. And right here, everybody in the boat goes, you really are the son of God. You really can rule the wind and the waves and all of creation. You are the son of God. Not only do we see it there, Mark chapter one, verse one, in the beginning of Mark's gospel, he says to us this, the beginning of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the guy from Nazareth that everybody followed, not the son of David, not the son of Joseph, not the son of Mary, but the very son of God. Now, It's important for us to understand this phrase that son of God does not mean that Jesus was a secondary creation who was born of Mary by some sort of nefarious act of the Holy Spirit, as our Mormon friends like to teach. But instead, it's important for us to understand that the son of God has always been the son of God as the second person of the Trinity. In fact, scholars uh, talk about and and theologians through the ages have, have, have helped us to understand that there never was a time when the son was not. In fact, a fun little story. Some of you who maybe follow me on Facebook or friends with me on Facebook, you see me at Christmas time. I like to post stories about Santa Claus. But the stories about Santa Claus that I like to post are the historical ones. St. Nicholas was a, a, um, a bishop in, in Turkey, and he went to a council, a church council, where they were arguing about the deity of Jesus. There was a man whose name was Arius. He created this system of, of thought that we call Arianism, if you were to look it up on Wikipedia. And, and Arius taught that Jesus was a lesser God who had been created by God, the Father. And so the Son of God meant he was like second God in order. But the church as a whole argued that 
No, Jesus was not created. He is not a second God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is of the same essence, the same being, God of God. And, and we must understand that there is this oneness, even as there is this distinction. There was a council. St. Nicholas attends. Arius attends. And the story goes that, Saint Nick, or that Arius comes out and defends his heresy. And shortly after Arius finishes talking about how Jesus was a created being, St. Nicholas comes up to him and punches him in the face and says, you're a heretic. How cool is Santa Claus now? I mean, just, he, it's not, he's going to, you know, see you if you're naughty or not. No, he's going to punch you if you believe the wrong things about Jesus. I mean, maybe we shouldn't teach children this, but you know, I mean... You better get your answers right in the Bible or St. Nick's going to punch you. Okay, wow, I can't sleep because Santa Claus is going to beat me. The thing is, though, is that the, the, the understanding of who Jesus is, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God does not mean he is lesser God. It means he is completely God, fully God. And so when we see this, we must understand this fulfillment of prophecy is not that he's some offspring of God, but that he is God incarnate. He is the the second person of the Trinity, clothed in flesh, the Son of God, come to give himself for us. Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 35, the angel reveals to Mary this. He says, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. We saw that already. But he also says this, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now remember, this is a huge statement in the first place that, that God has clothed himself in flesh and come to be amongst us. But this statement, calling him the son of God, also reveals to us he is the fulfillment of the promise made to David. He is the greater king. He is the perfect king. He is the one who could not do what either David or Solomon were able to do. And that is be a truly righteous king. Both of them were given all the gifts of God's God's presence and fellowship, and both of them failed miserably in their kingships, if you remember. But Jesus, the Son of God, the fulfillment of the promise, he will be the perfect king whose kingdom will never fail. The Son of God. Uh, Here's what uh, John the Baptist says of Jesus. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now remember, he's saying this is God incarnate, but also this man. He's the fulfillment of everything we've been looking for. He's the promise to David fulfilled. He is the king greater than David. He is the son of God. John 5, 19, Jesus says this about himself. Truly, I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. Jesus calls himself the son of God. In Mark chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, Jesus reveals that he's also the fulfillment of the Daniel prophecy. He is the son of man. And he begins to speak of himself this way. In fact, in the gospel of Mark, Jesus' favorite description for himself is the son of man. And when we understand when he says, I'm the son of man, or refers to himself as son of man, he's not saying, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm frail and I struggle like you guys. 
while it's true he was fully flesh, fully man, was tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin. By calling himself the Son of Man, he's saying, I am that king you've been looking for. I am that great ruler. I'm the one who will come on clouds one day and I will approach the Ancient of Days, the Father on his throne, and he will give me authority over everyone and everything for all time. Jesus says, I am that king. And, and he's so sly in this circumstance. The men had lowered their friend down to, to have Jesus heal him. He was a paralytic on a mat. And, and Jesus tells him first... Your sins are forgiven. And all the religious people in the room, they freak out. Whoa, nobody can do that. Nobody can do that but God alone. And and here's what Jesus says. So that you may know that the Son of Man, this King who is to come, the Son of God, the Son of David, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. This passage is not about the healing so much as it is. A bold statement by Jesus. I am king. I'm the one that was promised. I'm the ruler that is to come. Believe on me. Not only does he say it here, do we see it here? Later on in Mark chapter 13 verse 26, Jesus is talking to the the, 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 uh, Sanhedrin as he's being judged the night before his crucifixion. And, and he says this, he says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory in describing himself. And everybody in the room knew what he was talking about because they knew the Daniel prophecy. When Jesus said he is the Son of Man, they knew he was saying he's deity and king over all. Here, Mark 14, verses 61 through 62 Pilate asks him this. Uh, Jesus keeps silent, doesn't answer. Oh, excuse me. The high priest asks him this. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Once again, Jesus unequivocally saying, I am the son of man and I'm the king you've been looking for and I will rule forever and ever. In Matthew, similar circumstance, speaking the night of his judgment before crucifixion reveals, actually, I think this was to the disciples. It reveals that he is the son of man and he will come and he will be king. And Jesus, in all of this, he reveals to us that he is the king greater than David. Now we see he's king in in every way and his crucifixion and resurrection is his coronation into the fullness of his role as king. And he, in his death and resurrection, creates uh, the kingdom of God in such a way that all who would believe on him can come into his presence, can be citizens of a a kingdom that is, is full of righteousness and justice and provision. And so we see that, that Jesus is king and he makes this declaration himself following his resurrection. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Most of us are more familiar with 19 and 20. But 18, Jesus says this. Jesus, he comes near to his disciples and he says to them, just enough authority to do the things that we need to do has been given to me. No, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, 
when, when we read in Scripture, we see that word all. Uh, and I'll remind you, I know I've said it before, but I had the Bible 350 teacher, Dr. Fink. The first thing that he taught us about reading Scripture is all means all, and that's all all means. And so when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, who does he sound like? Well, he sounds like this son of David, who is the son of God, who is the son of man, this king that we've been waiting for. And now he reigns in all authority. John 18, uh, Jesus had revealed earlier, though, that my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You're a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus says, you're right, I am the king, and everyone who listens to my voice is part of my kingdom. How, how do we know that, 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 that Pilate understood what Jesus was saying about himself? Here's, here's what he says a little later. Uh, speaking to the Jewish people, you have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Speaking of Jesus, Pilate understood who Jesus said he was, king. Later on in, in, in Matthew, we see the same thing. And then not only does, does Pilate offer to release Jesus, calling him the king of the Jews, but Pilate posts this above his head, a sign that says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Jesus is the king to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. Jesus is the ruler over all of creation. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, in speaking of Jesus as king, it says this, he exercised this power in Christ the Father exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. When we talk about Jesus is king, we're not referring to, to some sort of, he's the king of my heart, he's the king of, of Sunday mornings, he's the king of the Bible study, he's the king of Christmas morning. No, you have to understand when the Bible says that Jesus is king, he is right now in this moment ruling over all of creation and has an authority greater than any ruler or authority on this world. Jesus is king, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Doesn't that sound a little bit like forever? A little bit like always. That Jesus is king. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. For this reason, and the reason that, is to, that Paul is talking about here, is the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf for the sake of our sins so that all who would believe might be saved. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is King and there is coming a day in which everyone will recognize that he is king. The sad part is when we see this, that there is coming a day where everyone will recognize Jesus is king, some of us will do it in joy. 
Jesus is king. Yes, and some will do it in resigned shame and joylessness and pain and even condemnation. Those who do not receive Jesus as their king before they pass from this life will have a moment where they will kneel before Jesus as their king and their Lord and they will face the just punishment for their sins because they never received his sacrifice. This day that is coming for us is going to be the best day ever. Even better than anything SpongeBob could imagine. Best day ever. But for those who have not received Jesus Christ as their king, who have not submitted their lives to him, who have not recognized he is the son of David, who is the son of God, who is the son of man, who is perfect in every way and righteous in every act. They have not recognized him as their Lord and Savior and their king. They too will bow before him. But it will be a day of sadness and lamenting and destruction for them. Jesus is king. Scripture tells us Jesus is king. Revelation 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. Revelation looks forward to the day when we see Jesus in all of his greatness and authority, no longer believing that he's king, but seeing for ourselves with our own eyes his power and his authority and his ruling, and that we will rejoice and sing his praises when such a time comes. (coughs) Because he's not just our king, but he is the king over all of the kings of the earth. And yet he loves us and sets free all who would believe on him as Lord and Savior by his blood. A little bit later in Revelation, we see witnesses and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. So this is the song. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. For those who are believers, for those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the day will come when we will join with with all of the saints and we will sing the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. And and I don't know how long it'll last. You know, it's going to be in the sweet spot, though, I promise. And we will sing together, great and awe-inspiring everything that you've done, Lord God, the almighty, just and true are your ways. King of the nations. Jesus is king and he is the king who for all those who will believe on him, he brings joy. He gives us the opportunity to genuinely rejoice in our freedom, rejoice in our citizenship, in his kingdom, rejoice in all that he has done for us. Revelation 17, 14 tells us more about this king. It said, these, the enemies of the king, will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Those with him are called chosen and faithful. We will be with the king as he he brings justice in the final days, as, as those who war against him will be destroyed. And it will be sad, yes, and yet we will rejoice because true righteousness and holiness and perfection will reign in a way that we have never seen before. And we will be called the chosen 
the faithful. Revelation tells us, verse, chapter 19, verse 16, that Jesus, when he arrives, when he comes to conquer, he will be on a white horse and, and on a white, with a white robe. And, and it says this, his name, and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's a statement written in indelible ink. And I just, I can imagine tattoo with the, or Jesus with this sweet thigh tattoo. And I know that's not quite Baptist, but you, you got it, right? I mean, he comes riding in on his white horse with this sweet thigh tattoo and just like bringing righteousness and justice. It, it will be a day that is both sad and yet one in which those of us who have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, allowed him to be the king of our lives, submitted ourselves to him, we will rejoice because we will be called the chosen and the faithful. As Jesus with his awesome horse in his beautiful white robes and his sweet thigh tattoo comes riding in, king of kings and lord of lords. And don't, don't quote me. Don't go tell all your friends that the pastor said that it's absolute doctrine that Jesus has a thigh tattoo. I just, I, I'm imagining, right? It's kind of like the chosen. We add a little bit of, of artistic license as we try and understand God a little better. Understand this about our King Jesus. This King who came for all of us. As King, Jesus has freed believers from the domain of sin and evil. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. This is the work of the father because of the work of the son. This kingdom, we've been rescued out of darkness and placed in the kingdom of God when we trust Jesus Christ as our king. We no longer are under the dominion of sin. Evil no longer has any sway in us. Now, the world around us, yes, and so we will be affected by it. But in us, we're now free. Citizens of a different kingdom. For everyone who believes on Jesus Christ, you are now free. As king, Jesus, he rules even now with justice, righteousness, and joy. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But to the Son, your throne, God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is as a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying the Father has established the Son to rule on a throne that will last forever. One from which will flow righteousness and justice and joy. And all who believe on Him as King... We'll receive those things. We'll see those things pouring out into their lives, both in the now and what's even more exciting, in forevermore. used to work with an older gentleman. He came to hold me accountable as a pastor and, and work with stuff. And, and we'd go to lunch and he'd buy me a cheeseburger. I like cheeseburgers almost as much as chili cheese dogs, but not as much. Just, just so you understand, there is a hierarchy. It's like chili cheese dogs, cheeseburgers with bacon and onion rings and he would, we'd sit down and we would both just be like, we shouldn't be eating this, but man, this is so good. And, and it's like, all of this is such a blessing. And when we're done, we have eternity. And, and it's so exciting for believers to understand that when Jesus is your king today, it can be hard, but it's good. And eternity will be even better. 
And not only that, but Jesus as king, he will rule for the sake of all who will come. Acts chapter 15 is is a reiteration of the, the prophecy given in Amos chapter 9. And the words of the prophets agree with this. As it is written, after these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. You might go, what? It's talking about David and a tent and... Let me explain it to you. This king who's greater than David, who will come, he will establish rule. He will reestablish a a place of worship, the tent of David, the tabernacle, and invite everyone, even Gentiles, in to believe. He rules for the sake of everyone who would desire to come to him and be saved. He's established a tent, a place for us to meet, a church to gather together, and he rules it for our sake. And so all of this together, this righteousness, this provision, all of this should remind us that we have a king who brings joy. And so we add on top of all of this, we've got the hope, we've got the love that comes from the prophet who reveals God himself in the flesh. We have the perfect priest who brings to us both by his own perfection and the perfection of the sacrifice that he offers. He brings to us a peace with God. And now we have a king who wants to pour into our lives joy. And what is joy? Joy is not just happiness. Joy is the ability to Acknowledge the goodness of what is, even when it's not perfect. You see, joy is not la-di-da rainbows and butterflies and lollipops. It is my car broke down, I slipped on the ice, I fumbled around teaching Sunday school this morning, I made a mess out of the coffee, work is going to stink tomorrow, but hallelujah, life's good. I'm eating, I'm sleeping, I'm breathing. Things aren't right, but it's good. That's joy. And it's what Jesus brings to us in this life. And then unbounding joy in the next. As we see his perfection and his righteousness in his second coming. Become all that we ever imagined. And the world become perfect. And so this morning, in the joy that he brings, I want to encourage you to respond to Jesus as king. Since he's king, first I want to encourage you, come to the king. Come to the king. Make him the king of your life today. Don't wait. Don't think, well, I'll wait for that day when everybody's bowing. Wrong time to wait for. Because if you haven't made him the king of your life before that day, once you acknowledge him Your destination is punishment. But if you have acknowledged him today, if you have made him the king of the life in word and truth today, when we see that day, there will be rejoicing for you because you will finally say, it's all come true. Come to the king. I, Jesus, at the end of Revelation, Jesus speaking says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. I am king. Both the spirit and the bride say, 
come. Both the Holy Spirit and the church declare to you today, come to Jesus as king. Let anyone who hears say, come. If you hear this and you get it, you need to be declaring to others, come to Jesus as the king of your life. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely by faith in Jesus as your king. Come to the king. The second thing I want to encourage you to do today and now and every day in your life, join with me in seeking to bow to the king. And why do you bow to the king? You bow to the king in submission, don't you? And, and if you make part of your daily practice, not just understanding that Jesus is your savior and he is your friend and he is the, the one who has given you life. He is the lamb of God who takes away your sins, but he's also your king. And so first come to him as king and then second on a regular basis, believer bow to him as king. He's given us certain things to say, to do, to be. And our choice daily is whether or not we will stand up and go, yeah, not today, king, thanks. Or to genuinely bow to him today and say, my day is yours, my life is yours, I submit. I will watch my words. I'll be careful with how I behave. I'll seek to glorify you in all that I am and do. Now understand, if you remain headstrong, if you remain selfish, you say, well, maybe I'll wait for some day. Maybe I'll wait for another day when he comes and, and then I'll bow to him or day when I feel like it. Well, today is the day when you need to be making those choices because here's what scripture tells us will happen when we finally see Jesus fully revealed as king. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. We, we looked at one verse from this passage, but this is the whole story. Of Jesus' return as king. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. Oh, that sounds good so far, doesn't it? Heaven opens up, Jesus riding on a white horse, Faithful and True. And with justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When this king came the first time, he came to reveal to us a joy that we could only have imagined. When he comes the second time, only those who are riding with him, dressed in white robes, because they believed on him as their Lord and Savior, declared him as their king before that day. Only they will be rejoicing. The rest will experience his righteousness and his justice 
as the wrath of God. The anger of an almighty king that was rebelled against. And so today, I encourage you, with this in mind, to follow after Jesus as your king, to seek his face, to bow down before him, to know the joy he can bring you today so that you can rejoice when that great day of the Lord comes. There's a, a great preacher from the 70s. His name was S.M. Lockridge. And uh, he was great because of just a good word. And he, there's been a video floating around of one of his sermons called That's My King. And just wanted to wrap up this morning before playing that, or before uh, uh, closing out in our last worship song. So I'm going to play a quick video and then our worship team will come and, and close us out. But I, I want you to hear the words and I want you to think, when you hear these things, do you rejoice or do you recoil? If you rejoice, you can know that your heart is in his hand and you are a true servant of the king. When you hear about him and you hear of his righteousness and his goodness and his justice and the judgment that is to come, if it makes you recoil, you need to consider, have you really, really received the joy and the king who gives it? And so let us spend just a moment watching this video and encourage you to take in the words, enjoy the preaching. He's a much better preacher than me. And then decide what you're going to do with this king who brings joy.